It's great to, uh, to be with you today. We're going to look today at, at Moses, who had several um, epic fails. I mean, this guy, is my, the title of our message is Repeat Offender. Now, I don't know about you, but I automatically identify with that title, Repeat Offender, because when it comes to epic fails, I am a repeat offender. Say that with me. I am a repeat offender. That is cathartic, isn't it? I mean, that just, that just really does something to you. But this guy uh, was, was more like, uh, he was one of those people that epic fails, I think we can identify with him. And what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to look at three of those epic fails specifically, because they were some pretty good fails, okay? And again, our, this message and this series of messages is not to discourage you, okay? But it's to encourage you. Because God used Moses. And God has a plan to use you. And I think some of us are worried because we've had so many epic fails in our lives that if if we try again, we're just going to fail again. And so we don't, we're not necessarily sure we want to allow God to try to use us because we're so concerned about failing. Well, we're going to look at Moses today, and we're going to see the fails that he had in his life, but also I want you to know that God used this man in a powerful way. So let's look at epic fail number one. I call it the epic intervention. Now, I've got to give you a little history here behind the scenario. Israel who at, at, at really at this point, they were, they, they were the Hebrew people. Um, they were becoming a nation. They had been in Egypt while Joseph worked for Pharaoh. Do you remember the story of Joseph? Um, and he was um, put into a cistern by his brothers. He was sold into slavery to Potiphar. He was in prison, and he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. Well, there's a little bit of time that has gone by since Joseph was in leadership under Pharaoh in Egypt. And, and this, what was Joseph's family, they had been in Egypt now for 430 years. Now, when you think about the age of our nation, we became a nation in 1776, when you think of it in terms of that, that 430 years was a long time. And not only was it a long time, but all but 30 years of it, they were living in slavery. When they got there, they were guests in the land, and Pharaoh said, hey, bring your family, it's wonderful. But 30 years into the deal, obviously Joseph had died, and for the last 400 years, they were in slavery there in Egypt. But the Egyptians were afraid of Israel. Remember, when they came, it was Joseph's brothers, and they represented the 12 tribes of Egypt, and they were not all even old enough yet to have families. So this was a family unit that picked up and came from Canaan and began to live in the area of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and so they were a family when they started. But that family began to grow. And that family began to grow. 
And it began to grow. And it began to grow. And pretty soon, the Hebrews, the family of Israel, were growing so much and so fast that the entire nation of Egypt was afraid of them. They were quickly becoming outnumbered by them. And so they decided we're going to enslave them and have them work for us. But they continued to be more and more prolific. And in fact, Pharaoh told the midwives, hey, <clears throat> when the Hebrew women, <clears throat> excuse me, are in, they're in delivery, I want you to, if they have a baby boy, I want you to kill that baby boy. I don't want that baby boy to survive. Well, of course, the, 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 the midwives, they, they couldn't and wouldn't do that. And, and so Pharaoh said, hey, how's it going? And the, the midwives said, well, these, these Hebrew women, because they work so hard, their, their labor happens so quickly. And so it's, it's over before we even get there. The babies are literally born before we get there. And so Pharaoh had to take another step and he enacted a law that said that all of the baby boys born to the Hebrews should be thrown in and would be thrown into the river Nile. Now I want you to think about that. I want you to think about what would be happening in their lives if that were, to, you know, when that was enacted. We have numerous times in history where similar things have been enacted. And, and the thought that I had that was pervading my mind is that whenever God is really preparing to do something, that's one of the, the responses that the enemy has. He begins to destroy possible people through whom God will begin to work. But there was one family, there was one couple and they had a baby boy that was born to them, and they were able to hide that baby boy for three months. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if, if my family could hide a baby for three months, okay? I just don't think that, that, that we could do that. You know, babies tend to make noise. Babies tend to be cared for. And I love it when a baby comes into the room. I almost said when a baby walks in the room. But when a baby, that would really draw attention. But when a baby comes into the room, every, you know, just, oh, they want to see it, right? That's the way we respond. It's hard to hide that stuff. But they were able to hide this child for three months. And then they, they realized we can't hide him any longer. There's, and so they made a basket out of reeds and they covered it with, with tar and with pitch and they took that basket to the edge of the Nile River into the reeds on the edge. And, and that was their only solution was we're just going to release this basket into the water. And I'm thinking crocodiles, okay? How seaworthy is the basket, you know? What if the basket sinks? I'm, I'm thinking there's a lot of things that could happen right now. And the Bible tells us that Moses' sister was basically watching the basket. And the basket begins to drift, and pretty soon it is discovered by someone. You see, every day Pharaoh's daughter would come down to the water, and she would bathe in the, the river Nile. And she had her handmaidens, those who attended her, and they would be with her. And one of her attendants found the basket. 
and they brought the basket to Pharaoh's daughter. They knew that it was a Hebrew child. It tells us that in the text. So from the moment that they discovered it, they knew that it was a Hebrew child. Um, I'm not exactly sure how um, they knew that for sure, but they knew that it was a Hebrew child. And so they're like, hey, we found this baby. And, and Pharaoh's daughter says, I'll keep it. You know, it's just like when your kids, you know, they, they find, a, a, you know, some wild little baby animal, a baby rabbit. Mom, can I keep it? That's what Pharaoh's daughter, she said, I'm going to keep it. And they thought, well, how, who's going to take care of it? Who's going to feed it? And Moses' sister, she pounces on the opportunity. She's watching from a distance, and she comes up and she said, would you like me to take the baby and have one of the Hebrew women nurse the baby? And they said, that's a great idea. And she said, I know somebody that can do that. And so literally, she took the baby back to his mother, and now they were able to continue raising him and taking care of him. And so when he was old enough, Pharaoh's daughter sent for him, and Moses was raised in Pharaoh's palace as one of Pharaoh's, basically one of his grandchildren. He was educated. He was fed. He was taken care of. He learned everything that there was to learn there in Egypt. He was trained. He was treated like the Egyptians, but he knew that he was one of the Hebrews. In fact, one day, he's out watching his people. Could you imagine this? You're being raised in the palace. Your people are slaves who are building uh, great edifices in the city and you go out to watch them. He goes out to watch them and he sees an Egyptian who's mistreating one of uh, those that are his people and the, the Egyptian is beating him. I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 2 verse 12. It says, looking this way and that and seeing no one. Here's Moses' response to the Egyptian beating the Hebrew. It says, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. I can, I can literally see Moses coming up to the situation and he's checking it out. Who's around? Who might see me? He decides that no one is going to see him so he decides to take the life of the Egyptian who's mistreating his fellow Hebrew. You say, why in the world would he do that? I think I, I, think I know why. Moses saw the injustice to his people. Moses knew that his people needed a deliverer. Are you with me? Moses knew this. Moses understood this. And I'll bet you he's thinking, hey, I can help out. I could take matters into my own hand, and even though I'm only helping one guy, I can step in here, and I can knock this Egyptian out. I can take his life, and then he won't be beating any more of my fellow Hebrews. That was Moses' plan. How many of you have ever had a plan? You ever had a plan? Turned out kind of like Moses' plan did. Not that you took anybody's life, but it, it sort of backfired on you. Well, that's what Moses did. He obviously, he didn't want to be seen by anyone. He knew that what he was doing was wrong. He thought no one could see, and then he did what we all tend to do. What did he do? 
covered it up. Can you? He's like digging a hole. Hey, buddy, come on, help me. Let's dig this hole. You know, and so they dig the hole and they, they cover the body up. And they, they, you know, hey, nobody saw. Nobody saw. Everything's okay. They hid the body in the sand. It seemed like a great idea to Moses until the next day. The next day we read in verse 13 of Exodus 2, the next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. This is not an Egyptian and a Hebrew. This is two Hebrews, okay? But he didn't realize that he did, one of them was the guy that helped him bury the body, okay? And you got to be nice to the people who know where the bodies are buried. You know what I'm saying? The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? This guy's throwing Moses under the bus here. Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Do your kids ever act surprised when you catch them doing something wrong? Do they ever act surprised? I tell my kids, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised that when you do something wrong that you will be caught because the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. Come on. It's like I'm the only one that thinks that. That's the Bible, friends. Preach the Bible to your children. Come on. Work with me here. It's the truth. Eventually, you, you find out about it. Your kids, they can't believe it. You know, that's where the old saying that mom has eyes in the back of her head come from because they can't believe how you find that stuff out. Maybe, kids, this is for you. Maybe they already know. You're, you're sitting here thinking, I got off scot-free with it. Maybe they already know. Let that sink in, okay? And then, and then I'll have an altar call at the end of the service. Look at verse 15. See, Moses, he's just, try, he's just trying to help out, okay? That's all. He's, he's trying to help out. He sincerely wants to help the Hebrews you know, guys, why are you fighting? You know, they turn on him. He's very afraid. He's, he's worried about being discovered. He knows he covered up the body, but he knows that this one guy knows where the body is, and that's the guy that's throwing him under the bus. He's only trying to help out his fellow countrymen. They're in bondage. Look at verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this, so this got all the way to the top, okay? Be sure your sins will find you. It got all the way to the top. Okay, when your brothers and sisters know that you've done something, be assured it's going all the way to the top. Your mother will find out. Look at verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. When we try to accomplish God's plan... In our own strength, we really mess things up. Moses was trying to accomplish the plan of God to bring freedom to his people. He tried it under his own power, and he messed things up. 
he tried to intervene in a way that he thought was good instead of the way that God wanted him to and that God would reveal him. You know, Moses was, I think, just ultimately he was impatient. How many of you have ever been impatient with God's plan in your life? Has anybody ever? And what do we do? We, we sit around and we say, well, God's not saying something, so I got to start doing something. And then we get in trouble. Why? Because we're not doing things according to God's plan. We're, we're just, okay, here's where I'll intervene right here. That's what Moses did. He intervened. God had a plan for Moses, get this, to deliver all the people of Israel, not just one. Do you see how underwhelmingly he looked at the situation? God has a plan for you, and you might think it's just to do one little thing, when in reality, God's plan is for you to do something incredibly great, but if you take matters into your own hands and try to do the one little thing under your own power, you will fail. That's the gospel right there. That is the truth. We see a better way. We try to accomplish God's plan for him. Moses was trying to carry out that plan under his own power and he failed epically. And we wonder why we fail when we attempt to help God with his plan. I'll tell you what, that's worth the price of admission right there. Epic fail number two, there's more. Epic fail number two is epic neglect. Now, you, gotta, you, gotta, you guys got to work with me today, okay? We're going to get uncomfortable, all right? We're, stay, we're, we're, go, we're, we're just reading through the, God's word, okay? But you got to work with me because we're going to get a little uncomfortable, all right? The Bible talks about some uncomfortable things. Are you, are you with me? I've got your attention now. You're like, what in the world is he going to say? All right, so after running away from Pharaoh, Moses spends 40 years in Midian. And you know what the prince of Egypt is doing in Midian? He's taking care of sheep. And sheep were so dirty that in Egypt, the Egyptians wouldn't allow shepherds to, to, to be around them. They put them off in other areas that they were under control of because they were so dirty. So now Moses has gone from the palace to the pasture. Anybody ever feel like that's happened in your life? You've gone from the palace to the pasture? Or you're just still in the pasture waiting for the palace? I used to like the smell of the pasture when I was a kid. What does that tell you about me? During that time, the Hebrews are now crying out to God. They are literally groaning because of their, their slavery. And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appears to Moses and tells him, that, and, and it's from the, 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 the burning bush, okay? There's flames of fire on this bush, but it's not being burned up, okay? And the angel of the Lord tells Moses, God has given you a, a call on your life to lead all the Hebrews, not one, like that guy you buried in the sand. All of them out. And Moses thinks about how bad it went when he tried to just help one guy. God says, I want you to do this. He calls him to lead them out. Moses begins to make all sorts of excuses. Has anybody here ever made an excuse to God before? Anybody? 
God, I can't do it. I can't do it, Lord. Moses said, God, I I cannot do this. There is no way. Did you see what happened, God, when I tried this the first time? I cannot do this. He said, "Uh, who am I? I'm nobody. No, you're the prince of Egypt. It's just that right now you're in the pasture tending the sheep. But I made you who you are. Sometimes we talk about ourselves that way. God, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. How could I ever be used by you? He said, who do I, who would I even tell them is sending me, God? What if they don't believe me? In fact, Lord, I, I don't even talk very well. I, I'm just, I'm slow of speech. I, my tongue just gets all tied up. And, and that's a good one. You got, I know a lot of me, you know, I, can, I really can't articulate, Lord, what you want me to say. Therefore, I, won't, I just won't say anything. Moses had all of those excuses that he had God said Moses I'm going to help you Moses said Lord please send somebody else in fact send anybody else and the Bible says that God got mad at Moses okay he got mad at him because Moses wasn't interested God said I'll give you your brother Aaron you tell him what to say he'll he'll say it for you he said I'll literally teach you what to say I'll give you the words and I'll give you this stick what if God gave you a big job and said I'll give you a stick and your brother (laughs) you'd say God I want to use the stick on my brother and then do it my own way But that's what God did. God said, I'm going to give you your brother and a stick. And that's what you're going to need. Now go back to Egypt because the ones that wanted to kill you, so Pharaoh, the Pharaoh that was alive then, he's dead. Those that wanted to kill you are dead. Go back. So look at Exodus chapter 4, verse 20. It says, so Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. Moses finally agrees everything's going great, right? He's on his way to Egypt. Then we go to Exodus 4, verses 24 to 26. Here's where it gets messy, okay? Are you with me? Hang on. At the lodging place on the way, that's the KOA campground, (laughs) the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. What's up with that? He just said, okay, God, I'll go, right? What happened? What's the big problem here? Let's keep going. But Zipporah, that's his wife, took a flint knife. Here's where we're getting a little dicey. I'm sorry. Cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. Okay? God says, I've got a big plan for you, Moses. Real big plan. You're going to deliver all of my people from Egypt. Okay? Moses just said yes. Now, the Lord is appearing to them and he's going to kill Moses. Why? That's the question. In in the Old Testament, we read that God gave circumcision as a gift to Abraham. As, a, as an identifiable thing. As a, it was literally, it was a gift. It was something, the Bible says that from that point on, every boy born to Abraham's family, they knew that they were Abraham's family, 
would be circumcised on the eighth day. Obviously, this is past day eight. I'm just being, I'm just just taking what the scripture says, okay? It's past day eight. You say, what does that really tell me? Let me me tell you what I, I believe it's really saying. Is that when God calls you and I, and he calls us to the big thing, okay? And he gives us that big thing to do. And we say, yes, Lord, it doesn't excuse us from all the other things that he desires for us in our lives, okay? It doesn't cut us slack on all the little stuff, all right? All right, all right do you get what I'm saying? <clears throat> I believe that Moses said, hey, Lord, I said yes to the big thing. What's the big deal about circumcising my kid on the eighth day? And we're like, God, I, I said I would, I would, I would tell my, my brother-in-law about Jesus. What's the big deal about these small things that you tell me in your word that you want me to do? Now, I'm grateful that God doesn't take my life when I, when, I, when I blow it and when I don't keep those small things that he instructs me to do. It's called grace. Oh, it's called mercy and grace. He doesn't give me what I deserve. He does give me what I don't deserve. Moses had failed in those small things, even though he had said yes to the big thing. Man, I, I, I'll tell you what, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 23, verse 23. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. The, 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 the Pharisees were so spiritual that the, the mint from their garden, they, when they would bring it in, they would divide a tenth of that out, okay? A tenth of what came out of just the spices in their garden. But yet they, they could not treat other people with mercy and justice. Jesus said you're hypocritical because you do these little tiny things. You don't do these other things. Man, Jesus instructs us to, to, to do what he commands. And so Moses had, had missed it on that. We can't obey just part of God's plan and then neglect all the other things. Epic fail number three is called epic modification. Moses He gets to Egypt. He tells Pharaoh to let my people go. We know about the ten plagues. We know that that as Moses is beginning to, then Pharaoh says yes, and he he starts leading him out of Egypt. And um, and, and you know Moses looks like Charlton Heston. And and, um, he's leading him out of Egypt. And and the, uh, they get to the edge of the Red Sea and, and the, the Egyptian army is coming and the pillar of fire appears and God opens up the Red Sea. Oh, remember the stick that you want to beat your brother with? Okay, that's the stick that God gave Moses. He said, stretch your stick out, Moses. He stretched his stick out and the sea parted and, and several million people went through on dry ground. And when they got through the other side, the Egyptian army was coming through and the water closed up and they drowned all of them. So they, they now, God's going to lead them to the promised land. 
they get to the edge of, of the promised land and they send in 12 spies and, and they come back and 10 of them say, no, we can't, we can't take them, they're too big. All the people in that, that land, two of them said, yes, we can do it. So they decide to not go in and so they have to wander for 40 years. God provides manna on a daily basis. He, he provides quail and sometimes they get thirsty. And the scripture tells us about one of those situations in Numbers chapter 20. And what happens in Numbers chapter 20, beginning at verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, take your staff, the one you wanted to beat your brother with, okay? Take your staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes. They were thirsty. In fact, they were so thirsty, they were going to revolt, and they were going to have a rebellion against Moses. And Moses falls on his face before God and prays for his people. And God says, I want, you to, I want you to speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded. And it says in verse 10, He and Aaron gathered the whole assembly in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Verse 11, Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. God tells Moses what to do. Moses is ticked off at Israel. He's angry. So instead of doing what God tells him to do, which is speak to the rock, he strikes it twice. Now, I want you to notice this. Water comes out of the rock. Do you know what that does to you and I? That really puts us in a place where we think, you know, maybe getting it exactly right isn't what I need to worry about. You see, Israel was thirsty. God says, speak to the rock. Moses strikes it twice. Water comes out. People get water. Sheep, herds get water. Everything's okay, right? God, everything, everything's good. That All's well that ends well, right? It tells us, it, 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 we're tempted to think, that the end justifies the means. But I want you to understand that that is not the message that God wants to send to us. Look at Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Moses led those people for 40 years around that desert. And when they got to the edge of the promised land, God said, Moses, that's far enough. Now it's just you and me. And Moses never got to cross over into the promised land. He modified God's plan. Yes, water came out of the rock. Yes, the people drank. The herds drank. They survived but he modified the plan. And I think that there's a lot of times that you and I are tempted to modify the plan. And then when it's all done, we say, well, you know what? It, it didn't turn out all that bad, Lord. I modified it a little bit, and it didn't turn out. But here's what I want to ask you. What price eventually will you have to pay because of modifying God's plan? You see, God has a plan for your life. 
and it's, it's a great plan. I, I'm sure that, that God wanted Moses to cross over into the promised land. But that was part of the price that Moses paid for his disobedience. That plan that I'm talking about today, I believe that it's an incredible plan. Moses was a repeat offender as an epic failure. I can identify with that in my life. But you know what the Bible says about Moses in Numbers 12, verse 3? It says that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Moses wasn't perfect. But I'll tell you what. Moses spoke to God face to face, the Bible says, as a man speaks to his friend. Yes, he had epic failures. Yes, it cost him. But I'm telling you what, Moses didn't let that stop him. Today, you might say to yourself, man, I, I, I am a repeat offender. I have failed epically so many times. Why would I dare? Why would I dare say yes to a big plan that God wants for my life? And I'll tell you this, that if we'll walk according to God's plan, if we'll, if we'll resist the temptation to modify the plan, if we'll, we'll resist the temptation to, to alter it and to change it and to jump in where we want to jump in, and if we'll just listen to His voice, I believe that God will use us in ways that we could never, ever imagine. I want you to stand with me today, out in the hub and here in the sanctuary as well. I just, I believe that this series, the, 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 the reoccurring aspect of it, that there are those that are here that you have needed to hear this. And some of you have heard this, this, this message all month long. Different character, different circumstance, but what you, what's, what's just bouncing around in your brain is that the vo remember we talked about the voices there are voices that are going to tell you that you're such a failure that you can't do it you can't do anything for God God could never use you but I want you to know that God has a plan for your life and it's bigger than you could ever imagine you just look at one little place one little scenario where maybe God could use you and you're sort of tempted to jump in and interrupt the process God's plan is much bigger than that. And that voice that's bouncing around your head is just the one that says, you know what? You failed too many times in the past. You're, like, you're a repeat offender, just like he's talking about today. But God wants to remind you that he has a plan for your life. And it's a big one. So Father, I pray right now. Lord, I pray for these folks that are here today. I pray that the ones that have that voice that just says you can't do it, Lord, I come against that voice and I declare that that voice is a lie from the pit of hell. That even though we may be a repeat offender, that we've failed epically time and time again, that you have a plan to use us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, out in the hub as well as here in the sanctuary, if you would say, Lord, that's me, I... I that, that voice, I hear that voice. 
I know that I failed God. I failed him, but I, I don't want that to be the end of my story. And I want that plan of God that he has for my life. I want that. If that's you, I want you to slip your hand up. We're just going to close in prayer in a moment. Just lift it up. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about it. Don't worry what anyone else is thinking. Just keep it up. Yep, all over this place. Father, you see these hands. You see these people that are saying, God, I know that I failed. I know that, that I, I'm a repeat offender, but I believe you have a plan for my life. Come on, say amen. amen. I know you have a plan for my life. You want to use me. You want to use me to accomplish your plan. And Lord, I may have failed in the past, but I believe. I believe that you are calling me, that you have a plan for my life. And my answer is yes. Come on, say yes. yes. I say yes to you, Lord, in Jesus' name.